Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Amen. And sometimes we can learn a whole lot from the little children. I'm just going to tell you. I was being, I, listen, I wasn't the one being serenaded, but I got caught up in the serenade. Because them kids were singing to Jesus. And I, I, I tried to sing, and then I tried to just be quiet and listen. Um, I thank God for our children's ministry. I thank God for our children's leaders. I thank God for our volunteers. Uh, God is growing us, and I'm thankful for that. Um, young families plugging in, bringing their children to church. Uh, I'm so thankful that I had a mom and dad that brought me to church and raised me up in the church. Now, understand, church didn't save me. Jesus Christ saved me. But I was exposed to who Jesus is and what Jesus does at church, around church people. And so uh, I'm so thankful to see that this morning. I am just a little bit fired up, okay? Um, I'll be honest with you, it really don't take much to fire me up, but when you fire me up, you better look out. Um, I'm going to do my best to keep my voice at a reasonable tone, Chris, so that I don't drive you crazy up here on the soundboard, but I may not, you know what I'm saying? So uh, just get ready, get, get them hands ready, brother, you may have to use them. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23, so go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 23. Uh, while you're turning there, I want you to know that... Uh, I'm so thankful to God what he's doing through the retreat ministry. We've already seen what God has done uh, through our sisters in Christ at the women's retreat. Uh, Many salvations, many baptisms. I do want you to know at the men's retreat, I know for a fact we saw two salvations and baptisms. We saw, I think, four baptisms. I might be wrong, but I know it's something like that. But here's the thing. As much as I celebrate those baptisms, I also celebrate those one-on-one conversations and prayers that I have with people who I see God changing their heart too, okay? Because I'm going to tell you something. God is worthy of our praise in the private moments and in the public moments. I believe that. And so what I saw at the men's retreat was I saw lives changed. Or as Brother Jeremy would tell you, maybe it's on the back of our shirt, I saw lives transformed, right? And you might have some of them guys sitting around you, so you better look out too because I think they're just as fired up as I am. And so if they're sitting around you, you might be, better be on guard, because they might stand up and say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, and that's fine with me. So um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23, and we're going to be looking at, at Paul again. And uh, Paul makes a very bold statement in Acts 23. Uh, he, he's talking to a crowd, and we'll get to them in just a minute. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you what he says. He says, I have fulfilled my duty to God, and I stand before you with a clear conscience. That's what Paul says. Let me tell you who Paul was. Paul was God's child. Paul was God's ambassador. He knew who he was, he knew whose he was, and he knew why he was. He was here to do kingdom business, kingdom ministry, and nobody, no one could stop him from telling the truth about Jesus Christ. And it didn't matter how much they beat him. It didn't matter how many prisons they put him in or how far in the prison they put him. Paul would not shut up about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, church, we need some church members who won't shut up about Jesus Christ. In their house, in their school, in the workplace, and in this world, no matter what comes. That's what we need more of. Now, I'm a movie fan. You know, me and, me and Shane Middleton, we talk a lot about movies because me, me and that boy like to go see some movies. We just, I just love movies, you know. And uh, one of my favorite movies is an old movie, and I'm going to probably age some of you. Uh, it's, the, it's the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman in it, okay? Some of you cats are too young to remember that, but, uh, you know, you can always go back and look at it on Amazon or something like that. But in that movie, how? how? It's oh, it's on VHS? Well, are we really that old, John? <laughs> 
Hey, listen, if you need it, you can go borrow John's VHS tape. Because I have DVDs, I, you know, and those are even outdated now. So, but listen, in that movie, uh, Kevin Costner played the role of Robin of Loxley. He was the Robin Hood. Uh, in that movie, at the very beginning, he's locked up in a prison, you know, because they were fighting uh, the Crusades. And there was this cat uh, played by Morgan Freeman. His name was Azim. And, and Morgan Freeman was a warrior, man. I mean, he was a fighter, but he was in prison. And listen, in that prison, they were killing people. I mean, they were killing people. And look, Robin Aloxley and Azim, they, they were going to get the death penalty. They were going to die. But you know, Robin, he's a pretty sly dude. He, he's pretty, pretty cool, you know, pretty sneaky. And he got out. Well, when he got out, he set Azim free. Right? He, he, he set Azim free. And so they're running through the streets. And Robin Hood, he tells him, hey, he says, hey, man, I'm glad you're free, but you need to go your way and I'm going to go mine. And Azim says, no, I, I ain't going nowhere. I, I'm with you. He said, what are you talking about? He said, you saved my life. I cannot leave your presence until I save your life. And in that movie, at the end, right, they have gone way, way away from Azim's country. Uh, He's away from his wife. He's away from his kids. He's away from everything he knows. He's in a foreign land, in a foreign place, but he gets the chance. Because at the end, Robin Hood is about to die. A, a, A bad dude is about to kill him, and Azim takes that dude out. He, he kills the guy that was going to kill Robin Hood. And here's what he said. It's one of my favorite lines in the movie. I mean, he's tired. You can tell he's tired. You can tell he's ready to go home. He looks at Robin Hood and he says, I have fulfilled my vow. And he turns around and walks off, right? He says, I have fulfilled my vow. What I see in Acts 23 is a lot like that. Paul, he says something really like that. But this ain't a movie, okay? This ain't a movie. This is real life. And, and this wasn't just a physical thing. This was a spiritual and eternal thing, right? Paul says, I have fulfilled my duty to God, and I can stand right here before you today with a clear conscience and say that. And so I want to ask you a question. Or actually, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is my duty to God? Ask that question to yourself right now. Brother Jeff, what is my duty to God? Well, I, I want to answer that for you, okay? I want you to answer it with me through the Scriptures. Uh, in the Old Testament, that word duty, here's what it means. It means sending forth one's hand to accomplish an important task or responsibility. In the New Testament, the word duty actually conveys the idea of being in debt or under obligation to someone else who has paid a price for you. Ooh, that's pretty good, right? That's what the word duty means. So ask yourself this question. What is my duty to God? In the Scriptures, we find answers, okay? In the Scriptures, we find answers to that question. If you say, Brother Jeff, I want to know what my duty is to God. I want to know what obligation I have. I want to know what responsibility I have. I want to know what my important task is. Well, let me tell you. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, you don't have to turn there, just listen. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here it is, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Your first duty, your first duty, what is my duty to God is to love Him. Why? Because He first loved you. And He so loved you 
that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live for you, to die for you, and to rise up out of that grave for you to defeat your sin once and for all so that you could stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What is my duty to God? My duty to God is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Right? What does the Lord your God ask of you but, and here's the answer, to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees. Another favorite verse, and I love this one because not too many years ago, uh, when Marty was teaching at OCS, this was their theme for the year. This was their theme. They, they had it plastered all over the walls at OCS, and I would walk in and see it, and I'd go, that's it. You want to know what your duty to God is? Here it is. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Brother Jeff, what is my duty to God? What is required of me by God? Are you ready? I think you know it. Micah 6, 8. To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What is my duty? I'm going to tell you, the Scriptures tell you what your duty is. The Scriptures tell me what my duty is. And listen, we could say, hey, that's enough right there, and it is. But there's more. There's more to it. As children of God, we should love Him. We should fear Him. We should walk in obedience to Him. We should serve Him. We should observe His commands and His decrees. We should act justly. We should love mercy. And we should always walk humbly with our God. But in Acts 23, Paul, he's in a rough spot. Anybody in here ever been in a rough spot? You ever been in a rough spot? Okay. Some of you might be saying, Brother Jeff, I'm in a rough spot right now. Let me just tell you something. Your circumstances don't change your duty to God. Your circumstances don't change your duty to God. Just like your circumstances don't change God's love for you. Your circumstances don't change God's love for you. You may be in a place right now where you're hurting and you're lonely and you feel like God's not there. Let me just tell you something. God don't make promises and not keep them. He makes promises and he keeps them. He's the promise keeper. He's the way maker. And God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So many times as Christ followers, we think, oh, uh, he'll just give me whatever I want whenever I want it. No, that's Burger King, okay? That's Burger King. They give you what you want when you want, and I'm going to tell you something. Even they screw it up, okay? But let me just tell you something. God never does. God gives you what you need when you need it according to his plan, according to his will, according to his purposes. And so in Acts 23, Paul's in a rough spot. He's back in Jerusalem, and guess what he's doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's sharing the same testimony and the same gospel that he has been sharing to the Gentiles all over Asia. Ain't nothing changed, but he knows where he's at. He's in Jerusalem, okay? Let me me just tell you, I shared this last week, and I'm even going to share it tonight as I introduce a new series called Testimony. Do you know what testimony is? Testimony is telling everybody, I was an enemy of God. Enemy. But I had an experience, experience with Jesus. And because of that, my life's changed, and I no longer exalt Jeff. I exalt Jesus because he is the one to be praised. He is the one to receive glory and honor. So I was an enemy. I had an experience. I exalt, 
And guess what? My life is the evidence. Because I go where he tells me to go, and I do what he tells me to do, and I say what he tells me to say. Enemy, experience, exaltation, evidence. That's what a testimony is. And so Paul's doing that. But the Lord, he, he led Paul to preach the gospel to all these Gentiles. Paul was faithful. He did it. Wherever he went, whoever he came in contact with, he told them about Jesus. And listen, churches were planted. Churches were grown. Churches were grown and churches were still growing. Gentiles all over the world being saved. But the Lord led Paul back to Jerusalem. Paul always knew that God was going to get him back to Jerusalem. And as a matter of fact, as we see in other scriptures, Paul actually told the churches, bye, y'all. And you know why he told them bye? Because he thought he was going to die in Jerusalem. He thought he he was going to die in Jerusalem. He thought that was the finish line. And so guess what happens? He shares his testimony. He talks about Jesus, and he gets arrested. He gets arrested. And Paul now finds himself out of the jail and on the steps. And guess who his audience is? It's a group known as the Sanhedrin. Now, you might say, well, Brother Jeff, who are the Sanhedrin? Well, I'll tell you. The Sanhedrin, they were the uh, aristocrats of the day, the religious aristocrats of the day. They were the high priestly aristocrats. And they were the ruling elders in Jerusalem. Generally, what the Sanhedrin said, that's what the people had to do. And if they didn't, they were punished for it. The Sanhedrin was actually made up of two religious groups. There was this group called the Sadducees, and their name says it all. Every time you saw them, they were sad. You want to know why? Because they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in spirits. So what what do you believe in? (laughs) Come on. I'll tell you this, though. They knew the law. They, They knew the law of Moses. They knew the Torah frontwards and backwards, and they thought that was all it was. They thought that was all it was. That was it, the Torah. So you got these Sadducees, and then you got these Pharisees, okay? So these Pharisees, they're a little different than the Sadducees. They still ain't got a whole lot to be happy about and joyful about. But, but here's the thing. They did believe in the resurrection, and they did believe in angels and spirits, and they, too, believed in the Torah, the law. And so there were a bunch of Sadducees, and a, a, a little bit of Pharisees. So the Sadducees outnumbered the Pharisees, and, and it was almost like Democrats and Republicans today. They couldn't see eye to eye, and both of them were wrong. They couldn't see eye to eye, and both of them were wrong. So watch what happens. That's who Paul's talking to. I just wanted to set the stage for you, okay? He was on some steps much like these, right? And, and there, there it was. The temple was right here. And here was this group of aristocrats right here in front of him, okay? That's where he was. He was on the steps. And here's what he says, Acts 23, beginning in verse 1. He says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers. See, he knows that's who he once was. He can't change that. Now, God has changed that, but it is part of his earthly life and his earthly history. So he looks at them with respect. Did you catch that? He looks at them with respect, okay? He's not pointing fingers. He says, my brothers. He's inviting them into this conversation he's about to have. My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God. Notice he didn't say I fulfilled my duty to the church or to the temple or to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He says, no, I have fulfilled my duty to God. 
And he says, I, in all good conscience, to this day, I have fulfilled my duty to God. At this time, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him in the mouth. The guy who was in charge of keeping the law just broke the law. Go figure, right? Crooked people in government? Anyway. At this point, the high priest ordered those standing near Paul to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Mm, I'll tell you what that means in just a second. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? And watch what Paul says. Paul realized, brothers, I did, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So Paul says, hey, look, I, I didn't know he was the high priest, but I do know this, he ain't lawful. He ain't keeping the law that you guys are accusing me of breaking. Right? I, and so here's what he says. Then Paul, right, he, he says, I did not realize he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the rule of your people. But Paul recognized, wait a minute, I got Sadducees and I got Pharisees here. That's who my audience is, so watch what he says. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, he called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee. Right? Descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why do you think a dispute broke out? Because he brought up the resurrection. <laughs> and listen to me. You need to make sure you understand this. Paul doesn't use that word resurrection like the old Saul who was a Pharisee. When Paul mentions the resurrection, he is pointing to the resurrection, the way, the truth, the life, Jesus Christ. So Paul wasn't just bringing up resurrection as just some casual term. Paul was saying the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Who is the hope? Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection. Paul knew that. But the Sanhedrin, right, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. All of the, listen, they didn't acknowledge Jesus or at least acknowledge who Jesus truly was. And so these Pharisees, they weren't thinking about Jesus when Paul said the resurrection. They were just thinking about the resurrection of the dead later on. They're still waiting for the Messiah because they haven't received the true Messiah. And so it says when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and Sadducees and the assembly was divided. They were already divided. But here's what happened. They lost focus on the one whom they were trying to convict, Paul, and they started fighting with each other. <laughs> and it says, The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. So in this passage, what we see is we see Paul being who God called him to be and doing what God called him to do. He knows who he is, he knows whose he is, and he knows why he is. Paul is God's ambassador. I'm going to tell you, he has a mission and he has a message. So many people, right, in church going, uh, what can I do? What can I do? How can I help? And those are good questions. And you should come to people like me or Sunday school teachers or deacons or leaders in a church. I love that. I love that. But here, here is the truth, okay? You have a mission and you have a message, and that is go tell people about Jesus Christ. 
And you can do that whether you've got a title in front of your name like brother or teacher, or you can, you can do that whether you're on a ministry team or not. You, you don't have to be entitled by the church to have a mission and a message. Let me just tell you something. You are entitled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God who indwells you through Jesus Christ, and you have a mission and you have a message, and Brother Jeff can't change that. What Brother Jeff can do is high-five you and cheerlead you and walk with you and go with you. So Paul had a mission and he had a message, and that mission was to go to the Gentiles and tell them about reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ. He had a mission, and he had a message. As a matter of fact, Paul, let me tell you what he does. It's real simple. Paul points out his duty to God. He points out his duty to God, and he points out his clear conscience before God. See, here's what I love about Paul. Paul wasn't looking for the Sanhedrin to pat him on the back to encourage him. He wasn't looking for uh, authority or any power from the Sanhedrin, even though they had a lot of that on earth. Listen, Paul didn't need that. I'm going to tell you something. If you pray to God and you turn your heart over to God and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you repent of your sin, who am I to tell you you're saved or you're not? Right? You don't answer to me and you shouldn't worry about me. When you're baptized, somebody might say, well, you got baptized, whatever. Listen to me. That baptism is between you and God, not you and anybody else. That, that baptism, right? That baptism is a public profession that you are a Christ follower and that you identify with the body of Christ who is the church. So how dare anyone try to tell you who you are and why you are when God's already done it? People suffering through identity crisis because they're listening to the devil or they listen to somebody who claims to be their friend, you listen to God. Because I'm going to tell you something. At the end, me and you, we're going to kneel before God, and we're going to answer to God for everything we've ever said and ever done, not to each other. We, we need to know who we are, whose we are, and why we are. Paul does. He says, I fulfill my duty to God, and I stand here with a clear conscience. You might say, well, Brother Jeff, what duty was he talking about? I believe he was talking about all that we've already talked about. Love God. Love people. Serve God. Walk faithfully. Walk humbly. Be obedient. I believe it's all of that, but I'm going to tell you what else. I believe he pointed right back to what he already said in Acts 22, 21. You know what happened in Acts 22, 21? Paul was, he was defending himself, right? Telling them who he was. Here it is. In Acts 22, 21, we read, The Lord said to me, Go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I believe that's the exact duty he was talking about. Because I'm going to tell you, that Sanhedrin, Sadducees and Pharisees, they couldn't believe that Paul was talking to Samaritans. That Paul was talking to Gentiles, Greeks, Romans. They couldn't believe Paul would, would dirty himself and get down that low and, and, and associate with people like that. Paul said, I ain't answering to you. I answer to God. And I stand here with a clear conscience. I did what God told me to do. I went where he told me to go, and I said what he told me to say. Do what you want to with me. I believe that was, listen to me. Again, I believe Paul was respectful, but I also believe Paul was bold. See, I think there can be some balance there. Paul knew who he was. He had purpose, and God gave it to him. Jesus is the one that said to his apostles, I will empower you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And I believe Paul was standing in the boldness and in the power of the Holy Spirit amongst all these people that were questioning who he was and why he was. I love an old pastor. Pastor P.J. Matthew says this in his commentary. He says, The judgment of conscience must be regarded as true only when it confirms God's standard for you, which is the truth of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. That's what he says. He says, when your conscience is clear before God, that means the Holy Spirit has led you and guided you and confirmed where you are and what you're doing, and the Word does too. People ask me all the time, how can I know it's God? I'm going to tell you, if God says it, then you know it's God. If you can find it in Scripture, then do it. If the Holy Spirit of God tells you something, He will never tell you something that contradicts the Word. Do you hear me? The Holy Spirit will never lead you somewhere that the Word of God does not confirm. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to say or do anything that the Word of God doesn't confirm. You want to know why? Because the Lord our God is one. Did I just read that while ago or what? I just want to make sure you understand this ain't Jeff. This is the Word of God. In Deuteronomy, it says the Lord our God is one. You know what that means? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one. The Holy Spirit of God will always, always, always be confirmed by the Word of God. Always. So yeah, you can know. You can know who you are. You can know what you're supposed to do with your life because God will tell you. After Paul's bold statement of truth, Ananias just says, hey, punch that guy in the mouth. Anybody ever get frustrated with somebody? Huh? You probably get frustrated with me all the time. I'm so glad you're sitting down and don't come up here and try to punch me. Right? That's when I'm going to start wearing my running shoes. Right? But, but, but think about this. That guy was mad. He was mad. And listen, he actually thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was, hey, Paul, when he was Saul, thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was doing God a favor, but he was not in the Spirit. He was trying to satisfy man. That's why Paul said, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I was a Pharisee descended from Pharisees, right? That's why he said that. It was all about man patting me on the back and man's acknowledgement and me climbing the ladder of man. That's who Saul was, but he's Paul now because God changed his heart, changed his name, changed his direction. And so Ananias says, punch this guy in the mouth. I found out about Ananias, and I I love to research, right? I love love history. And so I I don't just take a name and go, oh, okay. I like to say, okay, let me find out more about this guy. So I was looking at a commentary by Dr. David Jeremiah. He's another one of my favorite preachers. I think you probably already know that. But anyway, Dr. David Jeremiah, listen to what he says. He says, this act of cruelty by Ananias toward Paul was not out of character for this man. He was a man who completely abused his power while in office. Some years later, this same man would be assassinated by his own people. So this chief priest of the Pharisees was always wicked and always hypocritical and always abused his power. And he even did it in such a way that his own people killed him. Somebody else wanted that power and wanted that position, and they got it. So do you think Paul, led by the Spirit of God, said what he said? You whitewashed wall. That's what he called him. Listen to me. And Paul even acknowledges, I was not talking about the office of high priest. I was talking to this man who just said he was holding up the law and broke the law. 
So Paul was not being disrespectful to the office. He was calling out this man because I believe the Holy Spirit of God showed Paul who he was. You whitewashed wall. You know what that means? You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You're a fake. You are not who all these people think you are. Paul called him out. He called him out. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God showed him that. You want to know why? Because Paul, and, and I'm telling you what theologians tell us, at this time of his life, do you know that Paul was almost legally blind? Mm. Think about that for a second. So most theologians said that Paul couldn't even really see who this guy was, which means that's why he didn't know he was the high priest. He didn't notice his decorated garb, right, and his tassels. Paul just heard this guy breaking the law and said, huh, who are you? You're supposed to be upholding the law, and you're not. You're a hypocrite. You're a whitewashed wall. That's what he said. But I'm so glad Paul doesn't stop there. Paul, Paul, he tells them who he is. He tells them whose he is. He tells them why he is. And then I love this. Paul says, let's just get to the truth. Here's why I'm on trial. Here's why you hate me. Here's why you don't want me to be doing what I'm doing. Paul points to the hope who is Jesus Christ as the resurrection of the dead. That's what this is all about. Paul is preaching Jesus, teaching Jesus, exalting Jesus. What's a part of our testimony? Or it should be exaltation of Jesus. Not Jeff, right? Not my church, not this thing or that thing or this person or that. No, your testimony should always be about exalting Jesus. If you share your testimony and it ain't got Jesus in it, it ain't a testimony. Not a biblical one. If it ain't about Jesus, what he has done, what he is doing, and what you know he's going to do, you need to rethink your testimony. (laughs) You need to rewrite it. Because Jesus has got to be all in it. And so he tells them about Jesus, the hope of the resurrection. And that immediately, right, divided the Sanhedrin. I I love this, though, because the Pharisees, when he said resurrection, they're thinking, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, He he is a Pharisee. He's talking about the resurrection that we're talking about. No, he is not. (laughs) You missed it, boy. But that's okay because now y'all fight with each other. And Paul's back like going, look at them. Right? And and I love this because another pastor of mine that I love to listen to is Pastor Tony Morita. I studied a couple of his books in, 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 uh, in college when I was getting my biblical studies degree. And I love Pastor Tony Morita. When I read his books, I was like, okay, I got to find this guy and listen to him. Um, if you ever want to listen to a good preacher, I'm just telling you, that guy can preach. Listen to what Tony Morita says. Paul pointed out the real issue of his trial. His belief in Jesus' resurrection separated him from the rest of the Jews, including the Pharisees. And throughout his defense speeches, he constantly brings up the resurrection of Jesus. The Pharisees had a category for resurrection. However, they failed to rely on Jesus as the one who is the resurrection and the life. So don't miss this. Even though the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, they believed in an event. Do you hear me? They believed in an event that that will happen someday, but they did not believe in the hope of the resurrection who himself said, I am the resurrection, Jesus Christ. And and so Paul's goal wasn't just to get the attention on the Sadducees and Pharisees and take it off of him. No, Paul wanted them to hear the truth of what the resurrection really was. The resurrection is not an event. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. 
Mm. So Paul knows who he is. He knows whose he is. He knows why. He knows why he is. He's fulfilling God's duty. He is a messenger of reconciliation. He's a messenger of redemption to God through the blood, through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the crowd gets caught up. And they start to fight. As a matter of fact, they start fighting so violently with each other that the Roman guards who were there with Paul, they actually said, we got to get this guy out of here. They're going to tear him apart. I mean, they even feared for Paul's life. They, they, we got to get this guy out of here. Look at this in verse 9. Acts 23, verse 9. It says, there was a great uproar. And some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. That means they think he's going to be dead. Do you, let me ask you a question. When Paul saw this happening, and he's standing there, right, shackled. He, he's standing there in cuffs and in chains. Do you think just for a minute, let's, let's, let's be fleshly here for a minute, okay? Let's think like a person who is flesh and blood. Do you think just for a minute he's going, this is it? This is it. Because I can't run from this. And these people hate me and they, won't, they, they, they wanted Jesus dead. And I'm preaching Jesus, so I think they might want me dead. Do you think for just a minute maybe a thought was in his mind? Listen, I, I don't know. I don't know because he doesn't say that with his mouth. But I want to show you something in Scripture. Because this ought to, man, this ought to encourage you. Watch what happens. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away, take away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. And look at verse 11. This is, oh man, I love this verse. It says, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Listen to me. In the Bible, we will see God send angels all the time, don't we? All the time. He'll send angels to attend to his children. Who does it say stood near Paul? The Lord himself. Hmm. I'm going to tell you something. Angels are powerful, right? One angel could kill thousands of men. They're powerful. But ain't nobody got power like Jesus Christ. He's got resurrection power. (laughs) He's the one that brings dead to life. And it says, the Lord stood near to Paul. And not only that, look at this. The Lord spoke. The Lord said to Paul, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul may have felt, listen to me, and this is why I believe Paul felt like he was going to die. Because it took the Lord standing next to him and talking to him. You ain't dying today, son, because I got plans for you. You got a mission, and you got a message, and this ain't the finish line. I'm going to tell you, that's good. Anybody here ever felt like, man, this is it? This is it? Man, I ain't got nowhere to go. I'm, I'm at the end of the rope. Matter of fact, I'm hanging on to, like, the tip of the rope, and it's starting to frizz, it's starting to, you know, frizz, and I ain't got nothing left. You ever felt like that? Like you're about to drop into your death? The Lord is with you always, even until the end of the age. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 28. Paul, in this moment, he needs the Lord desperately. 
And guess what? When God makes a promise, what does he do? He keeps it because guess what happens? The Lord stands with Paul. Paul knows, I need you, Lord, now like I've never needed you before, God. I need you. And the Lord comes to him. I love it. The earthly encourager. That's what I call Paul, right? I call him the encourager of encouragers because that's what he always does. But I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes the encourager needs the encourager. Sometimes the encourager needs the encourager. He needs presence. I, I love this because Paul's letters to the churches and Paul's letter to different individuals, like one I'm fixing to show you, Timothy, it always backs up what, <laughs> what really happened. So I'm reading to you what's happening in Acts 23. Let's fast forward for just a second. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, At my first defense, no one came to my support. When Paul stood on those steps, who stood with him? Nobody. He was by himself. He was with the Lord, but none of his human friends and Christ followers were there. He says, at my first offense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. That's what he said. May it not be held against them. Don't you love that? He is walking humbly with his Lord. He said, you know what? I'm not going to cast judgment on them. I'm not, I'm not going to blame them. He says, may it not be held against them. And here it is, verse 17. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his kingdom To Him be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. I'm going to tell you, that's a good word. Paul says, I know for a fact, right? Here we go. Testimony. I have firsthand encounter, firsthand information. I know that when God says He will never leave you and forsake you, He means it. Because I was on trial and I felt all alone and I felt like I was going to die. But the Lord stood with me and the Lord spoke to me and he told me who I was. He reminded me of why I was and buddy, I did it. We get so scared in this world, don't we? Oh, this government, oh, this country, they're going to blow the world up. Oh, it's just going to get so bad. It's so evil. It's so boo-hoo. Woe is me. Do you know who you are? You are a child of Almighty God. Jesus Christ spilt His blood, poured His life out for you. Don't forget who you are. And don't forget your mission and your message. And it's not one to cower away from or be scared of or be silent with. You need to stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and say, let me tell you who God is and let me tell you what God has done, is doing, and let me tell you what's going to happen. And it ain't no country that's in control. It's God. Somebody's about to preach for me tonight because I ain't going to have no voice left. I'm just tired of people being scared of what's going on in the world. I'm just tired. I'm even tired of going, oh, I'm so scared. I'm not casting stones here because I'm guilty too. We get so distracted by the enemy. 
We, we, we just we listen to his lies, and that's all he can do. The, the devil can't tell the truth because he's the father of lies. That's what Jesus says. The devil has no other agenda but this, to steal, kill, and destroy you. The Lord not only stood with Paul, the Lord spoke to Paul. Don't you love that? The the Lord speaks truth to Paul. And not only that, the Lord directs his steps. Right? The, The Lord directs his steps. He didn't just tell Paul, take courage. That's a good word. That, that's an encouraging word, right? It's got courage built all around it, right? But he didn't just stop there and say, hey, be encouraged. He said, hey, go here. In other words, I got you. I'll tell you where to go. You just listen to me and go there. And guess what happens? I, I'm not going to read it all, but guess what happens? I'm going to let Brother, Brother uh, Brandon preach this to you next week. He goes before this person and this person and this person, and they try to put him in jail. They try to kill him, and guess what? God's in control, so he don't get locked up in prison. <laughs> he, he don't get killed. You know what happens? Anybody want to know what happens? It's exactly what Jesus said to him. You're going to Rome. He goes to Rome. Yeah, he goes to Rome. Now, don't miss this. Was it easy? In Rome? No. He went to the whew, he went to the center, right? The center of fear and death in the world. Like they mastered it. They were the intimidators. That's where God led him. And guess what? He walked right into it. You want to know why? Because he knew who he was. And he knew why he was. And he had fulfilled his duty to God. And he was going to keep on fulfilling his duty to God because his conscience was clear with God. He didn't care what man thought of him. He only cared what God said to him. So I want to ask you this question one more time. What is your duty to God? What is your duty to God? You're probably sitting there going, I've never really thought about it. Well, you should. You, you, do you think God just saves you from his wrath and saves you from, from death? You think that's it? That, that's not it. He saves you from his wrath. He saves you from death and brings you to life. And he doesn't bring you to life so you can just exist. He brings you to life because you were made in the beginning to bring glory and honor to him. You were made from the beginning. Your life was made to be a reflection of his grace, his love, and his mercy to the world. So you have purpose. You have a duty to the God who saved you from his wrath. That's why I ask people all the time, are you sure? Are you sure you want Jesus? Because what happens is, so many people want Jesus as their Savior, and they don't want to talk about Jesus as Lord. Oh, save me from God's wrath. Save me from hell, because I want to go to heaven. But in between, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Again, I'm not going to judge your salvation. But but you better rethink. (laughs) You better rethink your conversion. Because if you ain't being transformed by the one who transforms, Jesus Christ, you may not have him. Where there's no fruit. (laughs) Where there's no fruit, 
Because guess what testimony is? I was an enemy. I had an experience with Jesus. I exalt Jesus. And my life is the evidence. There will be evidence. There will be evidence of God's hand on you. Can't help it. God's fingerprints are all over this world. It's called general revelation. When you go outside and you look at beautiful things that are, when you watch that sun come up and those clouds turn yellow and pink, and man, that ain't no accident. Man, don't give nature no credit for that. That's God. That's His fingerprint. When you look in the mirror, look at, your, look at, look at the eyes, right? Look at the shape of your nose. Look at your ears. Look. Well, I can't look at my hair, but you look at your hair. <laughs> look, look, look at your hands. Like, right? No fingerprint exactly the same, ever, ever. Ever has been, ever is, ever will be. Are you telling me that's accident? No, that's God. God's fingerprint is your fingerprint. You are God's fingerprint. So you have value. You have purpose. You have a mission and you have a message. That's your duty. Love God. Love people. Walk humbly with Him. Obey Him. Serve Him. And you serve God by serving others. Sometimes, sometimes the places might be comfortable. Sometimes they may not. Sometimes the duty is hard. Sometimes it's hard because you know you're about to get attacked. Or you know you're about to get rejected. Here's the thing. When I tell you about Jesus, you ain't rejecting me. You ain't rejecting me. You're rejecting the one who loves you and the one who saved you. Right? You're not reject- I didn't lose. You lost. If you said no to Jesus. I'm going to go to the next one. And I'm going to tell the next one about Jesus. Because that's what I've been called to do. You see, as Christ followers, it's real simple. Our duty is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. I'll use one word, completely. Our duty is to love God completely. Our duty is to serve God faithfully. That means sometimes we're going to have to go where we don't want to go, but God said do it. Sometimes we're going to have to have that uncomfortable conversation with someone that we don't really want to say this to them, but God said to say it to them, and they may not like it. As a matter of fact, they may punch me in the mouth. Love God completely. Serve God faithfully. Trust God continuously. Isn't that that's, That's hard. That's hard. I'm not going to preach another message. I know you all ready to go. Trust God continuously. Continuously. That means when the flames get hot, when the water gets high, and you want to get out, when you want to find the nearest exit, but God says, no, stay here. Like Rome. Somebody just used two words that I used at a retreat. I just heard it. Don't quit. I think I heard that this week. Because it's easy to quit. It's so easy to quit. But God never does. God never quits. Praise God. Amen. What's your duty? What's your duty to God? Are you doing it?